I think we discovered last week most of you are not uh, New Year's resolution kind of people, but I'm curious if you're the, the, the take stock kind of people, that at the beginning of a new year you kind of go, well, you know, where are we at? Where's life at? Where's, uh, where's our church at? Where's our ministry at? We do things like that all the time. I, we're cleaning up from Christmas, and Mary was in the basement yesterday watching some organizational show where they go into these houses that are filled with clutter and they pull everything out of every closet and every drawer and every shelf and they put it in the middle of the room and then they have to take stock. They have to go, which things go back in and which things get pitched, which is kind of a nice exercise, I think, for us to take from time to time to go, what's really important? What are the things that matter the most? I wanted to do that just before we launch into this new series here because we've been kind of on a journey and very intentionally so as a church and at least here's the design of it. We started a couple of years ago focusing on dwelling in the Word, recognizing that in order for us to really be well-grounded people who are growing in our faith, we need to be in the Word, that this is a living and active thing that shapes us and molds us. So we spent an entire year, if you remember, and we went from Genesis to Revelation in kind of a fast-forward fashion, looking at all the major chunks of Scripture and their themes and how they might be at work to shape us. I, I hope you're still dwelling in the Word. This is not something we do and then we stop, but we continue on, and we have offered um, various versions from time to time of, re- of readings, weekly readings or daily readings or some tool to help you dwell in the Word and to continue to dwell in the Word. Uh, would you take stock right now and look at your life and, and ask yourself the question, how that, how's that going? Do you have a regular routine of dwelling in the Word? Some kind of system or, or, or pathway that helps you get in the Word on a regular basis? We hope that that continues. And then we took uh, uh, inspiration from dwelling in the Word to recognize that we're called to like, live that out in the community that this stuff that we're reading is too good to keep to ourselves. We, we want to share it. We want to get it out into the world. And so we launched this past fall into this really intentional focus on transforming the corridor, thinking that as, as the Word shapes us more and more to be Christ-like and to demonstrate God's love, then we're living out in our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces. Why aren't we seeing transformation there? So we started talking about that, and we took great inspiration from Jeremiah 29.7, which is, seek the peace and prosperity of the city and pray for it, because if the city in which you live prospers, then you will prosper. Recognizing that we have a call to like actually love our community and, and live that out. So would you take stock of that right now and look at your life and, and maybe answer that question? How are you doing in living your life out in your community? Maybe in your home, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, at your school. How's that going? Is that going okay? Well, we got a little feedback as we were in the middle of that series, and the feedback was, we want more help in that transformation piece. We would like specifics. We would like to hear how we live it out. Can you give us suggestions for how to do that? And that brought us to the series that we're going to be on now for a while, and that is how to love. We felt like we really could do more encouragement for each of us to figure out those specific ways that we love God and love each other, love our neighbors. So that's what this next series is going to be about. Specific practical help and suggestions that we explore together to try to figure out how to love. So to start this, we're using a passage that is a classic passage on love. You probably could have guessed it even if you hadn't looked it up yet. What's the classic passage on love? 
in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. We usually hear it at weddings. It's not really a wedding passage, though it fits there. It's really an all-of-life passage. Um, Paul wrote these words to a church that was struggling with loving each other. And he said, in the midst of all the other things, all the other chaos and junk that goes on in your life, here's the thing that's the most important, love. So I'd like you to turn there with me and read it together with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So open your Bible to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians 13. And here's the outcome we're hoping for in the next couple of months, that by the time we get to Lent, we'll, we'll be loving better than we are now. Loving better. 1 Corinthians 13 can be a guide for that. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of the childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Did you know that you have an odor print this is like your fingerprint or uh, the shape of your iris, I guess. These are things that are like unique to you. You're the only one who has it. You're the only one who has your unique smell. Did you know that? Selk, take a whiff. <laughs> that smell you smell is a combination of genetics and environment. So the thing you're smelling is a combination of your DNA and the garlic pizza that you ate last night. That's what it is, okay? And this research was kind of fascinating to me because it described that one thing, one of the many things that attracts us to the people that we love is their smell. Have you ever said that to your beloved? You smell good? I love the way you smell? Not sure. 
Have you ever stopped to think about what love smells like? This is how my mind works. So I'm reading this little piece of data while I'm in the middle of something, and I go, hmm, I wonder what love smells like. Ever thought about that? I did. And I thought of a couple things. I, you know, I thought it smells like a newborn baby smell. That's maybe the smell of love. And then the next thing I thought of was, it smells like my mother's fresh-baked cinnamon bread. She used to make that every Saturday. That was the smell of love. Maybe it smells like coffee brewing or spring breezes or chocolate hazelnut. I don't know. What's the, what's the smell of love for you? Which got me thinking about our typical view of love. And our typical view of love is kind of a soft, mushy, romantic, sentimental love. Oftentimes. We think of love this way, and this gets promoted by, you know, like cheesy romantic movies and Hallmark. Hallmark cards and Hallmark movies. This is kind of a love that's soft. And I got to thinking, you know what? We've got these abstract kind of sentiments. Like, I love you to the moon and back. I remembered some episode of MASH where Frank Burns was trying to woo Margaret Houlihan, and she was trying to get him to make a commitment to her. And he kept saying, I'm going to give you the moon, Margaret. I'm going to give you the moon. And she said, get out, Frank. She knew that she didn't want some abstract idea of love. She wanted some concrete expression of love, which got me thinking about misconceptions or myths. And I thought it might help us at the beginning of this little series to name at least a couple of misconceptions about love, things that we hold about love that are sometimes just not uh, accurate. So the first misconception is this. We sometimes get lured into thinking that love is always soft. It's always a romantic, emotional, mushy, cheesy kind of thing, that this is what love is. That's how we come to understand love, and it's often in the abstract. It's like this just a sense of, uh, it's like a sentiment. This is a misconception. Not all love is mushy love. Mushy love can be nice, but not all love is that way. I got an exercise for you. Try this exercise. First of all, close your eyes. Okay? Now, with your eyes closed, I want you to picture somebody in your family. Maybe somebody that you live with, a spouse, a child, a brother or sister. Can you picture the face of somebody you live with? If you're having trouble picturing that, maybe some of you open up your eyes and look at the person sitting next to you and get that picture. (laughs) Okay, you can picture your person. Okay, now, what does love look like for this person. Does love look like promising them the moon? Or does love look like patience and kindness? Not being envious, not boasting, not being proud, not dishonoring, not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeping no record of wrong, not delighting in evil, but rejoicing in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Is love more like giving them the moon or more like that second list of things I gave you? What is it? Okay, maybe you better open your eyes now so I don't lose you. If I promise you that I will surrender my life to the flame 
I think somebody else's microphone might be on. Is somebody else's microphone on? Okay, thanks. Whew, you're driving me nuts. <laughs> Can't imagine what it's doing to you. Okay, if I promise you that I'll surrender my body to the flame, if I promise you that I will solve all the mysteries of the universe, if I promise that I'll write you a love song or a poem, but I'm rude to you, then have I loved you? If I'm unkind to you and impatient with you, now this picture of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is a very concrete picture. And it's not, there's no abstractions in there at all. It's all very hard. It's all about a choice. I choose to be kind and patient and not self-seeking. So there is love that is mushy and soft and sentimental. That's nice. But a lot of love is hard love. Okay, so that's the first myth. Second myth, that we can love at a distance. And maybe a corollary to this myth is that I can love you in a hurry. That we can get in there and we can love you without being in relationship with you. Every expression of love that I can find that's meaningful is in relationship with somebody else. And it almost always takes time. There's no loving at a distance, and there's no loving in a hurry. Another experiment. Okay, I know I'm taking a risk here, but close your eyes again. And now I want you to picture the first non-family member that you're going to run into either later today or tomorrow. The first non-family member that you're going to run into in the next couple of days, okay? Picture, can you picture their face? Do you know their name? Something about them? Okay, you've got a picture in your mind? Do you love this person? Hmm, that's a good question. Okay, so I, got, I did the same exercise. I'm sitting in my office thinking, I have a dentist appointment tomorrow morning, so I'm going to go to the dentist first thing in the morning. I'm going to meet the receptionist who will check me in. Then the dental assistant's going to come and usher me back to the room and work on me for a while. And then the dentist is going to come in and care for me and check out my teeth. And then there's a business manager that's going to check me out of there. So I'm going to run into four people in my little, at least four people in my little visit to the dentist's office. Do I love any of these people? I'm not going to be, kind, I'm not going to be rude to them. I'll tell you that. I'll be kind and I'm going to be pleasant even though I hate going to the dentist. I'll be nice to all these people, but do I love them? It doesn't feel like love, does it? It feels like I'm going to be civil. So the kind of love that we're going to be exploring has to do with a whole different kinds of thing. It's not enough just to be nice to everybody. I mean, we have to be nice to people, don't get me wrong. But it seems like loving people is a whole lot more than that, okay? So one misconception we're going to have to address is that we can love people at a distance and in a hurry. Third misconception, that we can actually produce more love. We have this idea sometimes when we begin these things, at least I know I do, is that if uh, we gather together for a few weeks and I just like let you know about love and we talk about what Scripture says about love, that you have the power within you to work up the ability to, to be a better lover, that you're going to figure out some clue or some trick or some principle that's going to help you be a better lover. That's kind of how I have often been tricked into thinking about preaching. I'm just going to give you enough good stuff and then that's going to change you into a better level. I think that's a myth. 
Here's the reality. We can't love unless we know how much God has loved us. And the more we become aware of this lavish love that God has poured on us and the fact that that love has to just flow through us to other people. The kind of love we're talking about is such a robust, substantive, big love. It's not us loving people. It's God loving people through us. That might sound like a nitpicky thing, but I think it's really important that as we enter into this, what we're trying to figure out is we're trying to figure out just how much God loves us. And when I really know how much God loves me, I can't help but have that love overflow to the people that I care about, my family, my people in my neighborhood. I might even, because I'm getting a picture of this, love the dentist better tomorrow because that love's going to have to flow through me. That's the kind of love we're talking about. So I'm not giving you any big, uh, like, deep thing. I'm just setting the framework today. We're going to try to address those three misconceptions throughout the week. And I think this has super practical implications for us about how we live. I mean, it starts with the person you're living with right now, your spouse, your children, your parents, your, your brother or sister. How can you love better in your home? And then it goes out into the people you're going to bump into in your office, in your classroom, at school, the people you're going to see every day. How can we love better? This is what we want to try to address. And I think the only way to really get toward that is to figure out just how great is God's love. And we're going to try to like dissect that just a little bit by looking at three dimensions of God's love. Stuart already gave us a clue about what those were. We're going to, over the course of this series, look at justice love. God's compassionate love in action. This is a component of God's love that we want to understand more deeply. How does God and his desire for justice transform us and then transform the world? That's a a kind of love. God's uh, truth love, that God is trustworthy and faithful, that we can rely on him, and that 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 trustworthiness gets lived out in action. That's a love that transforms us and transforms the community. And then God's grace love, that's God's love that's forgiving, unconditional acceptance. God's love is always available to us. That's God's grace love in action. That changes us and changes our community. So justice, truth, and grace love is not a soft, emotional, sentimental love. It might have that component, but it is a robust, strong love. Justice, truth, and grace love is not love at a distance or in a hurry. It's a love that comes with choices, hard choices, over time, in relationship. And justice, truth, truth, and grace love is a love that overflows from us. It's not something we work up. It's something that's a gift, and then that gift gets shared. Here's a little picture of this, another little picture to whet your appetite from 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends... Let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into this world that we might have life through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, 
We ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We need more of this love. The world needs more of this love. This is what we're going to try to do over the next few months. Figure that out. Today we have another great way to start this by examining and experiencing God's love at the table. We know that one of the most concrete expressions of God's love was this, was that he sent his son. He did not remain at a distance, but he sent his one and only son to come to live among us, to love us, to go to the cross, to die for us. We celebrate that when we come to this table. We get a little glimpse of God's reckless love and just how much he was willing to invest in loving us and how concrete that love was. So as we come to the table, we want to just do a little bit of uh, self-examination, a little bit of preparation to come to the table. We call the self-examination because we look into our own hearts and we ask ourselves, are we worthy to come to this table? And the answer is, no way, we're not worthy. But God makes us worthy through Christ. So as we do the examination, we're going to have a little time for some confession, and I'm going to ask you to think about two questions. Have you loved enough? Have you loved God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And number two, have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Now you're all a lot like me, and immediately I can confess I have not loved God with my whole heart. And... I've loved myself a whole lot more than I've loved my neighbor. So we're going to give you a few moments to sit in confession, look into your own heart, and confess those places where you have not loved well, where you've not loved God wholly and not loved your neighbor as yourself. We'll give you a few moments of silence, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you today and I want to give you thanks because of your lavish love. And God, you have showered us with that love. And I thank you for promises that you make to us, beautiful promises like this, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. So we thank you, God, for that forgiveness that makes us able to come meet you at this table. Pray that, God, and now in these next moments as we gather around that you'll feed us and nurture us and uh, help us to see just a little bit more how much you love us and we will give you thanks in Jesus name. Amen. As Kent was talking, we come to this table and we think about three things. We first remember We remember that great love of God that he sent his only son from heaven to earth. We think of Jesus' life, this life that consistently pointed others to who his father was. And we think of the great love that he would give up his life for us. But not only that, that he rose again and 
and he ascended and he is now with the Father. This is what we remember as we come to the table. We also think about communion. The, the bread here helps us remember that we are with Jesus. And Jesus says he is the bread of life. We do not live on bread alone, but the very word of God. That we are joined together through the word of God. And the cup reminds us that we are a part of that vine. That it is only in God and in communion with him that we can bear fruit that he has desired from us. The third thing we think about is we think about hope. That this is not all there is. But there will be one day where we will be in heaven. Where there will be no more sadness, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. But we will be celebrating with God around a great banquet table. This is what we think about when we come to this table. Who Jesus is and his great love for us and and how we need to be united with him for strength and to bear fruit and how we are all looking towards one day being together with him. And so today we invite all of those who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior, all of those who have admitted that they have fallen short of God's glory, all of those who have repented of those sins and turned away and those who have received forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, you are welcome to join us at the table. And as we approach the table, may we remember that on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. As often as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples after they'd eaten. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I would like to call the elders to come forward And as they come forward, how we're going to participate in communion today, they will pass the plates down the row, and we ask that you will take a piece of bread and hold it until everyone has been served. And once everyone has been served, we will eat the bread together, and then we will serve the cup. And after everyone has been served the cup, we will drink together. May we enjoy communion at the Lord's table. Church, may we remember the body of Christ broken for us. May we remember the bread of life, the word of God given to strengthen us. And may we look forward to that day of hope anew in the kingdom of God. Let us eat the bread.
We've been going through the Christmas season and mentioning many people that saw and recognized Christ. In our communion, we can see and recognize and taste Christ. I would like to read and then follow through something I learned about 70 years ago, a piece that corresponds to a communion. Now, the days were the days of her purification, according to the laws of Moses, were completed. They brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. and to offer sacrifices according to the law of Moses. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed the Lord and said this, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Church, with this cup, may we remember the blood that was shed, this blood that creates this new covenant, this relationship with us and God. May we remember being a part of the vine, abiding in Christ, and bearing fruit for his glory. And may we remember that day when we will do this together in heaven. Please partake in the cup. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment of time with you to remember your great love. God, may we never forget what you have done for us. 
And God, we think about the fact that you give us strength and it is in you that we grow. Lord, may we continue to abide and find our strength in you alone. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we get to be with you and we get to be in perfection. I pray this in your name, amen.